You're listening to the micro version of the Savage Lovecast, www.savagelovecast.com. If you're stuck in a relationship quandary, or if you're looking for sexual harmony, well, there's nothing you can't ask on the Savage Lovecast. We've got a dick-heavy show for you today. A lot of heavy dick issues. We've got... A researcher here for a what you got. It's been too long since we had a what you got. We have a researcher here for a what you got about condoms and sensitivity. Really interesting conversation. And we have a writer, Mike Pearl from Vice, here to talk about something that I have in the past and I shall no longer call death grip syndrome. That's coming up on today's show. And I'm thinking about dicks because we got a dick heavy show. So this is your trigger warning if you don't like to think about dicks. This is your Digger warning, your dicker warning. Consider yourself dicker warned. This is a dick heavy show. I'm a gay dude and like we're all about the dicks. I don't know if you guys know that. I actually am coming out that I'm I'm a gay dude. I don't know if I ever told you. I've ever shared that with you, that secret part of my life. Gay. And there's kind of two kinds of gay guys in the world. You know, there are many ways you can divide the gay world up. And this is one way to divide the gay world up into two distinct kind of gay guys. There are, I've always affectionately called them cock hounds. Nothing wrong with that. I love having my cock hounded after personally. And then there are guys who like dick is part of it, but dick ain't it all by itself, right? The dick has to be attached to something compelling that the dick all by its lonesome isn't going to work. So for instance, a glory hole, whether it's in a gay bathhouse or sex club or in a truck stop or whether someone's improvising in a confessional booth in a Catholic church, just a dick popped through the hole in the wall. I don't get it. I don't want to touch it with anything, least of all my mouth. Maybe I'd slap it with a hymnal if it happened in a confessional booth. But there are people out there who a dick can be beautiful and gorgeous all by its lonesome and they are – Cockhounds, like they're after, they, they love the dick and a dick can be all alone so lovely and gorgeous that they'll do that dick irrespective of whatever else that dick might be attached to. Because you know when a dick is popped through a hole in the wall, that could be a sitting homophobic U.S. senator on the other side of that wall or a Catholic archbishop on the other side of that wall or your dad. How horrible is that to contemplate? Sometimes I sit up at night wondering, worrying about how many people have accidentally blown their fathers in truck stop bathrooms in particularly homophobic and repressive parts of the country over the years. Because if all you're after is that dick through the hole in the wall and you don't verify who's in the other stall and you both live in the same general area, it could happen. It's never happened to me because I always look at the dude. That comes first in my opinion. I'm not interested in – your dick unless I'm interested in you. And that's that non-cockhound kind of cocksucker gay guy. Like the whole person and the dick. Not just the dick and then the rest of the person to be named later. There are other people out there like that too. I've known lady friends who are cockhounds and my hat is off to them. Here's to the cockhounds. I guess this intro is my way of saying – Two things. First, I have dick on the brain and more so than usual as a gay dude because we have a very dick-heavy show for you today. But also because I'm on vacation. You always know when I'm recording these things well in advance because I usually can't resist current events. There was last week a Republican debate and I cannot comment on it because I am not here. 
Hello, people of the future. You can comment on the Republican debate that happened last week. I can't because I am recording this in advance because I am off somewhere with my husband where I promise you I am hounding him for all sorts of things. His time, his attention, his focus, his dick and everything attached to it. I'm fond of it. Fond of him. But I would never leave you guys without a new Savage Lovecast. We bust one of these out every week, whether I'm on vacation, whether Nancy's away on vacation, whether the tech-savvy at-risk youth are fully conscious or not. We create one of these shows for you guys every week, and we banked this one for you, and we banked this intro, and we're happy to have you. Thank you for listening. Wherever you are, I hope you're having a nice week. Wherever you are, I hope you found someone interesting and smart to talk to about the Republican national debate. I'm certain that next week when I get back, we're going to be talking about whatever those motherfuckers said. And now your calls and our dick-heavy program, the rest of it, after this. This episode of the Savage Lovecast is brought to you by Nature Box, the service that delivers delicious, healthy snacks to your doorstep or your office in our case. Go to naturebox.com slash savage for your first box of tasty hand-picked snacks. This episode of the Savage Lovecast is brought to you by Me Undies, comfortable luxury underwear for men and women at reasonable prices. To get 20% off your first order, go to MeUndies.com slash savage. Today's episode of the Savage Lovecast is brought to you by Blue Apron, the delivery service that sends you fresh ingredients and incredible recipes so you can make fabulous meals at home. Check out this week's menu and get your first two meals for free by going to BlueApron.com slash savage. Hi, Dan, 28-year-old man from a large Midwestern city here. Uh, my girlfriend just told me that she is a lesbian a few nights ago. I'm not surprised. Uh, I think there's been a lot of doubts for me that have been floating around in our relationship. Uh, also, um, I'm bisexual. She was identifying as bisexual, and that was a big component of our relationship. Um, when we first got together, we were together for about two and a half years, and uh, she was very supportive of me, kind of figuring that out. Anyway, uh, I'm still in love with her, and she says that she's also still in love with me, but it's very clear that, you know, our relationship's not going to work. I've been pretty sexually frustrated for a while. She's also going through a really rough time. She's caring for a sick family member. She's the main person who's able to care for this family member, um, and she doesn't have a lot of support in that. Uh, we live together. We're really close. We're best friends. I'm really excited and happy for her to be who she really is, to kind of figure this part of herself out and kind of move forward with her life. Uh, I'm also excited to find somebody who can uh, you know, meet my needs. I also want to continue our friendship and be supportive of her while she's going through this really rough time. I'm afraid of creating an unhealthy dependence for each other. Uh, for me, I'm afraid of like, I guess, staying in denial that this is really happening or, and trying to kind of stay close to her. And, and I'm afraid of her being too reliant on me. So I'm, I'm trying to figure out how to, how to set some healthy boundaries here, I guess. Unless there's some bottled up rage or resentment that you didn't express or share with us, I don't see what the problem here really is. You did mention at one point, as an aside, that you were sexually frustrated for a very long time. And so maybe I'm thinking there might be some bottled up rage or resentment there because you guys were together and she was believed herself to be at the time bisexual and she wasn't and your needs weren't being met or something was going on there perhaps that 
complicates your feelings because otherwise, if that's not true, if you're not in a place where you kind of resent her and what she's done to you, even if it's no fault of her own that these things happened to you because she didn't know who she was, now she does and you're happy for her. This isn't a difficult dismount to stick. You're friends. You're, you're not lovers anymore. You're friends and you live together. You're going to transition to roommates and you're going to love her like a friend and support her like a friend and release her from the expectations and the failures of being your girlfriend because you won't have girlfriend expectations so that she w- – and once you don't have girlfriend expectations anymore, she will no longer fail to meet your girlfriend expectations in the sexual realm, right? And then you can – Love and support her as a friend as she deals with this dying relative at this tough time of life. If she isn't demanding from you a kind of boyfriendly emotional commitment anymore or at this difficult time and she's not coming through, she's not matching your boyfriendly commitment, the demand she's making from you with girlfriendly commitment of her own to you, if she's not making that kind of dance. And some people do that. They break up. They want it to be amicable and they still demand from their partner a kind of relationship level emotional interaction and commitment that can seem unfair, particularly to the partner who's been dumped. She's not being unfair to you like that. If she's willing to ratchet this all back to friendship, love and commitment, friendship interaction, there's no problem here. Be there for her. If moving out now would be impossible for her because of this tough spot she's in with the dying relative that she's taking care of, don't fucking move out. Help pay the rent and help ease her burden as a friend while she deals with this life crisis. And then when this life crisis passes, when the relative she's taking care of passes, you can reassess how you guys can continue to be friends and whether you should continue to be roommates. Most likely not. That's a bridge you can cross after the funeral. The last thing anyone wants to do after work is wait in line at the grocery store, schlep home, and cook a complicated meal. An expensive, unhealthy takeout is hardly better. That's where the new service Blue Apron can help improve your life. Blue Apron delivers farm-fresh ingredients and step-by-step recipes right to your home, allowing you to create healthy, handcrafted meals at home without going to the grocery store at all. For less than $10 per meal, Blue Apron sends you fresh ingredients perfectly proportioned, making cooking healthy meals really easy and fun. No trips to the grocery store and no waste from unused ingredients. Plus, you'll learn to cook with specialty ingredients that are normally hard to find. Blue Apron is perfect for date night cooking with friends, and they offer family plans with kid-friendly ingredients so the whole family can eat well and have fun preparing a meal together. Each balanced meal is 500 to 700 calories per serving and so tasty you'd never know it. And cooking takes half an hour. Shipping is flexible and free, and the menus are always new. They will not send you the same meal twice. Blue Apron also works around your schedule and dietary preferences, and Blue Apron's experts source only the best seasonal ingredients for incredible meals like seared steak with roasted potatoes and herb creme fraiche and vegetarian green coconut curry with jasmine rice. You'll cook incredible meals and be blown away by the quality and freshness. Blue Apron, it's a better way to cook. Check out this week's menu and get your first two meals free by going to blueapron.com slash savage. My treat, really, truly, those first two meals, they're actually on me when you go to blueapron.com slash savage. Hey, Dan. I had a question for you. So uh, I've been texting with this guy that I met on OkCupid, and we've been talking for almost a month now. We haven't been able to meet just because we've been busy. And so I've been texting. He seems cool. And then all of a sudden in the last, like, 
couple of days, he started to get kind of insane and kind of clingy and make weird jokes about how we should like get married on our first date. Like, wouldn't it be funny if we went to city hall for our first date and got married? And you know, that's not really funny, but okay. Yeah. It's like talking about how I'm going to be so much better than all of his exes. I still have not met this person in person, like at all. So anyway, last night I, I had a gig all of a sudden. I had a random gig where I had to go work until, you know, late hours in the night. And I, I wasn't able to respond to his text because I was on my feet for like five hours. I got home at one in the morning and just went to bed. I didn't respond to him. And I woke up to a ton of text messages from him like, oh, my God, are you okay? I was so worried. I don't know this person. I've never met this person. It's kind of freaking out that this person is suddenly so invested with me, whereas I've like been really clear that we just met. So it's kind of freaking me out. Anyway, I would love your opinion if I'm overreacting, if this is totally normal, or if I should run for the hills because this guy is going to smother me in my sleep. I haven't met him. I don't know if I want to meet him after all this, or am I just being overreacting? I would head for the hills. I'd be running. If you're not ready to run, if your interactions with him previously have been saner, you can give him a chance. Although I typically don't give second chances to people who denigrate all of their exes in a conversation with me back when I was dating. My feeling is if someone is on bad terms with all of their exes, that someone is the common denominator in all of those shitty failed relationships. And it's probably them. They are probably the problem. But if you want to give him a chance, text him. Your truth, as Oprah might say, your text freaked me out because we actually haven't met yet and this clingy Mary and running down all your ex-boyfriend shit, it gives me pause and makes me less inclined to ever want to meet you in person, period. And so you're going to have to dial that shit back if you want to keep interacting with me. Send that off and see how he reacts. And if he becomes a clingy via text, a Clexty, I don't know what that word would be, what that neologism would be. How do you cling to someone digitally from afar, virtually clingy? If he becomes clingy and weird and, and psycho, well, then you know what you need to know about this guy, which is that it's a blessing you haven't met him in person yet. And it's a blessing that he doesn't know your address. And it's a blessing that there is a block feature on your phone. We know you're going to be tempted to snack, and NatureBox says give in to that temptation, but give in in a smart way that makes you feel better about yourself and about snacking. NatureBox has the most delicious snacks on the planet. From my personal favorites like masa crisps and whole wheat chocolate animal cookies, NatureBox has over 100 ridiculously delicious snacks to choose from that get delivered directly to your doorstep. And there's no chance of getting bored because they release brand new choices every single month. NatureBox is full of flavor, but without any of the junk. Just fun, flavorful snacks made with ingredients that you can trust and pronounce. Plus, they've got a smart snack guarantee, so if there's ever anything in your box that you don't love, let the folks at NatureBox know, and they will replace it in your next box. Easy and satisfying. Go online to get your first box at naturebox.com slash savage. Remember, the smart snack guarantee takes the risk out of snacking. That's naturebox.com slash savage for your first box of Beyond Tasty handpicked snacks sent directly to your doorstep. We're going to take a quick break from your calls. There are tons of scientists and researchers and academics out there trying to figure out what is up with human sexuality. And every once in a while, we invite one of them on our show to share the results of their latest research for a little segment we call What You Got. Hey! 
Joining us by phone to tell us what she's got, Dr. Cynthia Graham. Cynthia Graham, she's a professor of sexual and reproductive health and a member of the Indiana University Kinsey Institute condom use research team. And you're joining us today, Dr. Graham, by phone from the United Kingdom. Thank you for making the time. You're very welcome. It's good to be here. So you have this new study out. I don't know what it is. I don't know what it's about. Tell us what you got. Okay, so um, our team have been doing research on condom errors and problems um, in men for many years. But we, one of the things we've never looked at, it, we've always wondered whether men who reported erection problems when using condoms, whether or not they had a sort of vulnerability to experiencing condom, sorry, to experiencing erection problems generally. And ours was the first study to look at this. So this was a study published just recently, heterosexual men, so straight men only, just under 500 men. So you were, looking at, you were looking at guys who said that, oh, when I use condoms, I have difficulty maintaining an erection, which is something that guys will say to get their partners to allow them to not use a condom. And so you were looking to see if those guys had erection problems generally, not just erection problems when they used a condom? Correct. Okay. But we did, we did look at, we did also recruit men who didn't experience condom associated erection problems. So we could compare the two. So men who said, yes, I have erection problems whenever I use a condom and those who don't. Um, we looked at both. And what we found was that the men who had um, problems using condoms uh, and having erection problems rather were more likely to report having erection problems generally. Um, all the time. One of the things I think it's important to stress about this, this, this is the first study that's looked at this, um, so it needs to be replicated, but the media um, reported this quite inaccurately. So they talked about the headlines were condoms do not decrease sensitivity. One of the, one of the headlines cited a lot was it's not the condom, it's your dick. Um, and that's actually, <laughs> that's actually not what we found. So we didn't, the study, there's another study done by the Kinsey Institute recently, just last year, that looked at this and they found that condoms did indeed reduce sensitivity of the penis. So it was a lab-based study measuring sensitivity of the penis, mm -hmm. in, you know, in an experimental situation. And interestingly, that study found that Condoms did decrease sensitivity. So these, these headlines actually are incorrect. But uh, wait, wait. I can't have you talking about that other study on my show because it contradicts something I've said. And I can't have study. I can't have science on my show. I can't have empirical crap on my show that contradicts me. Because okay. my argument has always been, you know, I hear from guys, I can't feel anything when I have a condom. And then my own yeah. personal life experience and using condoms myself and talking to people, nobody – There's. it's just – it's true that, you know, it's – common knowledge, just an accepted fact that a lot of people, the condom breaks and they don't notice that the condom broke. If there's such a decrease in sensitivity with the condom on, how come the sudden removal of the condom doesn't even register? Yeah. Okay. So that, that's a great question. One of the things I think that really we don't understand very well, but I think our studies hint at this is there's a lot of variability. Mm -hmm. So there are some men who, you know, I've just been looking at interviews for a study we're doing here in the UK. There's some men who say doesn't really decrease my sensitivity very much. So I, I think that's something that hasn't been stressed enough. One, one thing we did find was that men who report problems with fit and feel of condoms are more likely to have erection problems. So I, I, I wouldn't question that some men definitely report decreased sensation. I think there's a lot of hype about that. Mm -hmm. And I think that I agree with what you said earlier. I think men sometimes will use that as an excuse for not, you know, and that we, we have a lot of evidence that there are something called condom resistance tactics. That's the name in the research um, area where men will use that as one of the number one reasons I, they don't want to I hate that condom. name. It makes it sound brave. It makes it sound like the French resistance. <laughs> Right, condom it resistance it makes it sound heroic 
There is, there's a new questionnaire measuring condom resistance tactics. Where? And that is the name, that is the name that's used. Um, uh, this is quite recent research. And there are women use condom resistance tactics too, by the way. <laughs> okay, so, uh, there's uh, one study. There's one study. Let's jump back to your original study that, yes, that, that we're, yes. we're here to talk about. Because there's the one that shows that there is decreasing sensitivity, uh, which uh, I'm going to have to accept because I'm an empiricist. And if the study shows, the study shows. But your study found you, – you talked about how it was misrepresented. How should it have yeah. been represented? What did your study actually find? What we found was that men who reported erection problems when they used condoms were more vulnerable. They reported being more likely to experience erection problems when they weren't using condoms. But you don't know why that is, or the study we didn't know. We no, we don't know why. We speculated in the paper. We wondered whether or not. We know that young men often use condoms. Um, they, they often don't as well. But when they first experience using condoms and have problems with erections may not last, right? There's also some evidence that that may just be for the first few minutes, but they may start to worry about it. So, Mm -hmm. and we we do know that men worry about erections (laughs) and and men worry about losing their erections quite often. Uh, I call it squirrel, the squirrel problem that some guys, if there's this momentary distraction that pulls them out of the sex where they have to focus on mechanics or, you know, ripping the condom package open, something that pulls them away from stimuli, from looking at yeah. the boobs or playing with the boobs or doing whatever it is that keeps their dick engaged, that momentary stumble can derail their erection. And they yes. associate that oh, yeah. then with picking up that condom. And so my advice for those guys is open the goddamn condom packets before you start to have sex. Put the condom on during foreplay a long time before you're going to do intercourse. Because if what you're doing is – you know, you're rolling around, you're having foreplay, it's oral, you're touching each other, and then yes. you stop everything, get out of bed, open a condom packet, roll a condom onto your dick, which is going to be not the same temperature as your dick, and then try to initiate penetrative sex. That's a whole, those are a lot of squirrels, squirrels, yes. squirrels, squirrels. Yeah. I completely agree. I I completely agree. And one of the things in, I don't do clinical work, but I did do clinical work for many years. One of the things that I heard time and time again was as soon as the, an erection kind of started to wane, men would worry. And so part of sex therapy is saying, you know, erections come and go and you can do things as I agree with you about the steps involved. A lot of people, you know, they think they know how to use a condom. That's another finding from research too, that a lot of men will think they know how to use a condom, but you know, in the heat of the moment, if you forget steps, you don't, and then you feel like you're fumbling. And so I agree with you. I think there are a lot of things that I think there were implications of this study in terms of what we, what we ask men about young men about, um, and steps, really simple things that they can do. Take your time. Don't worry if you lose your erection, like it's not going to come back. And, and you got to say, you got to say that to the partners too. Like if he loses yes. his erection for a moment and you break out a tiny little casket and you have a funeral for his dick, it ain't coming back. Completely you, agree. You, you have to uh, act like this is not a big deal. It's coming back. Uh, something else that just practical advice that I give people. And I'm, I just got a letter right before I got on the phone with you from a woman who's all worried that her partner, there's something wrong with her partner, that he might not be attracted to her because he occasionally strokes himself while they're having sex. That he occasionally yeah. you know, will pull out and stroke himself for a minute and dive back in. And that means she's not enough of a turn on to keep his dick hard. And that's yeah. just bullshit. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. And again, that's a big part of sex therapy that we talk about that. Um, we talk about the expectations that you know, sex has to be in this kind of linear fashion. Nobody can be engaging in anything else, fantasy, anything. Um, and I, ca- I call it the look, ma, no hands problem. 
that if you're having <laughs> sex with somebody else, you know, masturbation is when you touch yourself. Partnered sex, it's not okay for you to touch yourself. No. And if your partner touches themselves, they're doing partnered sex wrong. And no, no, no. You can use your own hands on yourself and on your partner's junk as a part of the flow of partnered sex. And yes. if you have erection problems, being unselfconscious about incorporating your own right hand every once in a while is a good for way sure. to build your own confidence and work around and get past it. Yes. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, that's what we've written about in this paper, in the discussion too. There are lots of things that men can do. You said it earlier on about taking time, opening condom packet before. The other thing that I've heard men say a lot in our qualitative studies and our interview studies is, you know, partner being involved in applying condom. There's, you know, we, not, we don't know enough about that, but our team have done research at the Kinsey on female partners applying condoms and men find that really a big turn on. Um, and, uh, but you know, some women will never do that. They think it's the man's job, mm-hmm. uh, which is, which is amazing. So there's a whole, you know, there is a whole literature on eroticizing condom use as well. Some people find that really difficult to imagine that can be done, but people report, of course you can eroticize condom use and there, there are all kinds of things you can do to make it less likely. Okay. So it's going to turn into a problem. So in summary, what's the takeaway? What's the practical takeaway for listeners from your study? The practical takeaway is I think we should be asking young men and also giving them tips about what they can do if they lose their erection when either applying a condom or during penetrative sex using a condom. Um, very little research on this. It's been there's a lot of speculation around it. But I, that's why I think our study was important in that we actually did assess whether or not there is this vulnerability for men who experience erection problems when they use condoms. And in fact, there, there seems to be. Uh, it seems to be they're they're losing it in other situations too, but but they don't have erectile dysfunction. I want to stress that. So that's another take home message. They did not meet the criteria for any kind of clinical erectile dysfunction. Where can listeners who want to read the study themselves find it? The study was published in the Journal of Sexual Medicine. Uh, that is an available free access. The article, um, but we can um, definitely um, put up a summary on the Kinsey Institute website which is www.kinseyinstitute.org. Dr. Cynthia Graham, thank you so much for jumping on the phone with us today and give us a shout the next time you got something to share with us. Will do. Thanks. We talk about sex here at the Savage Lovecast. That is what we do, sex and relationships. And that's why it's so appropriate to have me undies as one of our sponsors, because when you have sex, underpants at some point are usually involved that's why it's imperative that you wear the most comfortable, attractive underpants you possibly can. And me undies are those underpants. Me undies are made from modal, a fabric that's twice as soft as cotton, that's twice as soft as whatever you happen to be wearing right now. And me undies has tons of colors and styles for both men and women. In fact, they release a new design every month. I'm wearing a black pair of their boxers right now that I love and that love me back. All orders in the U.S. and Canada ship for free. MeUndies even has a money-back guarantee, so if you don't love your first pair, you get to keep it for free. You literally have nothing to lose by giving them a chance. And now MeUndies is offering you 20% off your first order at MeUndies.com slash savage. That's a special offer just for my listeners. Make sure you go to MeUndies.com slash savage to get that 20% off your first order, and so they know that you came from the Savage Lovecast. That's me undies, M-E-U-N-D-I-E-S dot com slash savage. Hi, Dan. This is a 32-year-old male, straight, in a long-term, happy, monogamous relationship. And uh, I got a little issue. Some friends have have a party, and uh, my girlfriend and I met this other couple that we've become friendly with. 
And the other woman kind of flirted a little bit, and I've kind of developed a little bit of a crush on her. She seemed like she she liked me a little bit, but now there's every time we're in the same company, it's very awkward, and I really don't know what to do. I really don't want to create any friction with my girlfriend. I love her very much, and I want to be with her long term. But uh, I want to make this awkward feeling between me and this other woman go away. So your call raises an interesting issue because all through you know the years, I've told people that you know you can be in a committed monogamous relationship. You're still going to want to fuck other people. You can be very much in love with your partner and still want to fuck other people. And your partner can be very much in love with you and still want to fuck other people. And I encourage people not to waste a lot of time policing their partners for evidence in a monogamous relationship, for evidence of what you should just assume to be true. Of course, your girlfriend, she wants to fuck other people just mm-hmm. like you want to fuck other people. That monogamous commitment you've made and that love and that desire to honor that monogamous commitment means you don't fuck other people, but you're still going to want to. And the reason I, I find your call interesting, the reason I'm calling you back is, okay, so even if you accept all of that, even if you and your girlfriend you know, mm-hmm. accept that she's going to check out a hot barista boy every once in a while and there, you're going to run into a woman every once in a while that you develop a little bit of a crush on or you think is hot – what do you do then with those feelings? What do you do when you want to fuck somebody else, but you can't fuck that person, but you have to be in the same room with that person, and it brings up in you these awkward desires that can never be acted on? How do you process that, and how do you work through it? And so uh, I guess I'm asking you, well, how do you do that? How do you work through that? No, I'm calling to tell you how you do that. You know that expression, yeah. expression the Christians have? Uh, and you could be a Christian, and that's a fine thing. I know lots of lovely Christians. Pray on it. I'm going to pray mm-hmm. on that. Sometimes I think, you know, people will, you know, you're not allowed to act on these desires. You're never going to fuck this woman. You want to be with your girlfriend long-term. You're committed to her, committed to monogamy. Uh, so you're not going to act on it, but you can fuck on it. You can jack on it. You know what I mean? Like you can, yeah. you can have sex with your girlfriend and think about the girl you have a crush on. You can jack off. You can masturbate about it. You're allowed to have, but I think it's imperative that people and couples allow each other to have an interior life and their own fantasies that sometimes aren't about you and allowing someone to lean into those fantasies. If I may borrow that phrase (laughs) to lean into those fantasies and enjoy (laughs) them without guilt, I think makes that person less likely to act on them or to feel like they have, you know, if their choice is I'm not allowed to think about this unless I act on it. I think that incentivizes acting on it, but you can indulge in, you know, jacking off about this woman as much as you want or thinking about her while you're fucking your girlfriend every once in a while, which everybody does, but nobody likes to be reminded of. Sometimes you have sex with your partner and think about somebody else you might also like to have sex with at some point, not somebody else you would rather have sex with for the rest of your life than your partner instead of your partner. You know what I mean? Yeah. And the, the final component besides jacking on it, uh, or fucking on it, like praying on it. I think the final component is don't hide yourself from this woman. You know, you don't want to be alone with this woman necessarily. You don't want to develop an intimacy that then fuels the sexual attraction. But mm-hmm. I, I think treating her like she's kryptonite and you're Superman and you can't be in the same room, you don't want to give it that kind of power. And sometimes, you know, repeated exposures to someone that you have a crush on initially, you begin to see their flaws. You begin to see what's not so great about them. You smell a fart. Like things happen where. <laughs> That increased familiarity, everyone's worried that increased familiarity is going to fuel the crush, fuel the desire, and lead inevitably to cheating. And 
often it's the opposite where that increased familiarity, the, 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 you know, you begin to see through them. You begin to see them as more complicated and, you know, that, that when you first see somebody and you're into them, you don't see their flaws and you don't get to expose to the shit about them that annoys you. Whereas you are intimately familiar with all of your girlfriend's flaws and you can itemize on a spreadsheet everything about her that annoys you. And you choose to be with her anyway. But some strange new person is easy to ide- idealize them because you're not, you, haven't mm-hmm. been, you haven't been exposed to them very much. So controlled exposure. I'm not saying go on a camping trip alone with this woman and sleep in a pup tent. I'm saying yeah, exactly. as couples, you can hang out with them. You can do some social things where you're out in the world with them. Don't wall her off. Because okay. cause then those moments when you do interact, where you do cross paths, if she's in your social orbit, you know, if this is someone you don't ever have to see again, maybe you don't ever have to see her again. But if she's in your social orbit, walling her off and pushing her off are going to make those moments when you do interact and you are thrown together that much tenser and potentially more explosive. That makes sense. Do you have the kind of relationship with your girlfriend where you can be like, I have a crush on so-and-so kind of. Oh, she, she's, she's totally aware. We talked about it. Oh, good. That's a, that's a relief. We talked about the boundaries. That's a relief. Cause then. Yeah, it definitely is. <laughs> Cause I, I just think it's terrible when people are together, discover evidence of what they should assume to be true and then lose their shit or blow up or act like they've been wronged in some way. When actually what you're doing here is, Acknowledging that, you know, there's this attraction and you don't want it to escalate to the doing of wrong and your girlfriend can help you with that mm-hmm. without it being policey, without it being fault findy. And I promise you the day will come when she has the same sort of complicated, fucked up, whoa, feelings about somebody else and you guys can then fuck on it together. Makes sense. And I, I expect that to happen at some point. How long you and your girlfriend been together? Six years. Oh my God. This is terrific. It sounds like you guys have a really healthy and mature relationship. So I don't think this, we really do. <laughs> uh, I don't think this should be a problem at all. I hope it isn't. I hope it doesn't become one. And it's less likely to, because you guys are so honest with each other. We're on the same page on just about everything. And, and it, this is the first time in my relationship with her that this has happened. to me. One other way to look at it is you can enjoy it. And you can allow this sort of erotic energy that this woman awakens in you. You can put that in yoke in the service of your relationship. You can plow that energy into your girlfriend that in a closed monogamous relationship, sometimes when these things happen, it's possible to for it to benefit the closed monogamous relationship. If there isn't policing, if there isn't fault finding, if there isn't drama and tears, if instead is, mm-hmm. you know, you're horny, you really want to fuck her, like, come here and fuck me. Let me take care of that. You can you can enjoy the the heady sensations of this crush together, and you can it can make your relationship stronger if you don't regard them as poisonous and and a betrayal in themselves, which they are not. The betrayal would be acting on them with her, but you can act on them with your girlfriend, and it's all good. It sounds good. Have fun, man. Hi, Dan. Uh, I am a 27 year old straight female from Chicago. And I have a question about how to handle a situation I've encountered dating a new uh, man. I met him on OkCupid, and we've been out a few times. We've had some really nice dates. He's put a lot of thought into how we spend our time together. The first few times we hung out for at least 12 hours, and we have another date set up for uh, in a couple of days. The only issue is that uh, he 
followed me on Instagram the other night. And when I looked through his feed, I found his ex-girlfriend. And when I looked at her feed, I saw that just about a week and a half ago, she was in town visiting and she posted a bunch of pictures of him with captions like, so excited to see my man in Chicago and uh, stuff like that. So it seems like he had a ex-girlfriend or current girlfriend from the city he just moved from who came to visit him. And I'm really not sure how to approach it. I've had a lot of situations like this happen to me where I get involved with somebody who just got out of a relationship and we spend a bunch of time together and then they tell me that they're not ready for something. And I don't really know how to approach it because I was snooping on his Instagram, but I also don't know if he's lying to me or hiding something from me. And it is a new brand new thing. So I know that he doesn't owe me anything, but I also don't want to right now get involved with somebody who is still deeply involved with someone else because I'm looking for a more serious relationship. But I also don't know how to bring that up because we've only hung out a handful of times. My advice would be don't snoop because you might find some things out that you can't not know, can't unknow. But now that you know that he appears, at least via his Instagram account and his ex, supposedly ex-girlfriend's Instagram account, to still be involved with her in some way, in a way where she would refer to him as her man, what do you do? You snooped and now you know. Well, instead of saying, I followed you, I went to your Instagram, we've all hung out a handful of times, we barely know each other, we've made no explicit commitments to each other, we've had no conversations about exclusivity at all, but you followed me on Instagram, I looked at your Instagram account, I found your ex-girlfriend, I saw that she was in town, I looked at her Instagram account, and I saw how she was referring to you, and that's just going to make you seem crazy. So if you like this guy, instead of framing a conversation about your relationship and where it might be headed... Instead of grounding a relationship about your relationship in what you know now about him and his relationships based on your snooping, just use fucking I statements. And the next time you hang out, continue to be casual about it, just throw it out there on the table that you're interested in dating somebody seriously, but the kind of person you are, the kind of dating that you want to do, the kind of relationships you want to have, you wouldn't want to date someone who was concurrently involved with someone else that you, when you date, prefer to date someone exclusively who's also dating you exclusively. And then ball in his court. He may say, I'm not ready to make any sort of serious commitment and I'm currently seeing someone else casually or I'm still exploring some things with my ex-girlfriend, ex by circumstance. Perhaps the move is what pulled them apart, not any falling out. Perhaps he'll say all that and you guys can shake hands and walk away from each other with the understanding if the time comes when he's completely unencumbered and he's still interested in you, he can get back in touch with you. No hard feelings. Just where you're at right now, both of you, not on the same page. But if he tells you there's no one else and you can, through the horrors of social media, verify that you are being lied to, then you should probably end it. Unless you enjoy being lied to. And I don't think that you do. I don't think that is a fetish. There are so many crazy, rare paraphilias that have crazy names. But a fetish for being lied to, if somebody has that, that is so rare, a paraphilia, that it does not yet have a name. Hi, Dan, and the at-risk tech-savvy youth. I am a 24-year-old 
lady up in the Pacific Northwest, and I'm calling in regards to a situation concerning my best friend who lives in Southern California. And I only mention that because Southern California is a relatively conservative area where everyone has their church, and she is very much in that. So my question is how to handle this situation. We've been best friends since she was 13, since we were 13, and she's been with the same guy since she was 17, and now she's 24, and they're talking about getting married. They've been talking about getting married forever. They're very much like in the church trying to do the traditional Christian good thing of like being with one person and, and she feels like they are meant to be together. Um, the only problem is he doesn't really seem to be interested in being with her and has said so on many occasions and like tried to break up with her and she just keeps digging her heels in further and saying that she sees him in her future and she thinks that, you know, God has like put them on this earth to be together and he is staying for some reason. I'm not very close with him anymore. And um, furthermore, her parents are, have never really liked this guy. And now they're saying they're not going to go to her wedding. They've prevented her from moving in with him just by saying that they don't support it. And she doesn't want to rock the boat too much. And me, as well as like our other best friend, we really don't support the relationship either just because we want we want more for her. We want her to be with somebody that wants to be with her. And now what it's come to is this friend has said they're going to get married in January. She hopes I will be there. And she just sent me a text this morning saying that her parents are not going to come to her wedding. So she's looking to me for moral support. And I don't support this wedding. I don't think she should get married. And I don't know what to do. I don't know if I should keep my mouth shut and be the supportive friend and be the one person in her life that's going to, like, be there for her on her special day. Or if I should tell her, like, wake the fuck up. You need to realize that nobody is supporting this marriage. Nobody is supporting this relationship. And you keep digging your heels into something that is total bullshit. So get out now. Perhaps you should call your friend and tell her to Google Anna Duggar. She's Josh Duggar's now long-suffering wife, mother of Josh Duggar's four children. I'm sure Anna felt that they were destined to be together, that this was what God wanted and all the rest of that horseshit. And if this is what God wanted for Anna Duggar, God is an asshole don't think it's what God wanted for Anna Duggar. I don't think God, if he exists and he doesn't, involves himself in our mate selections. Really don't. I really think that working out particle physics and keeping the universe humming along requires all of his attention if he exists, which he doesn't. You speak your piece. That's your job as a friend when someone's about to get married, even if it means putting the friendship on the line. You speak your piece if you think someone's making a terrible terrible mistake. Obviously, this girl has heard it from her parents, from other friends. Perhaps she needs to hear it from you too. Maybe it needs to be unanimous before she comes to her senses. The person I would really like to talk to myself is her titular fiance, this guy who you say has tried to break up with her, but she digs her heels in and refuses to allow him 
to break up with her, that she's going to force this asshole that nobody likes to marry her against his will. How does that work? A breakup is not by mutual consent. A breakup does not require the other person's assent. Call him and say, this is a mistake and you know it. Everybody knows it. You don't want to be with her. You have tried to leave her in the past. Is it the God zap? Is her pussy made of solid gold? What the fuck is going on? Why won't you do for her what all of us wish she would do to you? Why won't you dump her and let her stay fucking dumped? If it's the God talk, that's putting the zap on his head. Well, I don't know what you do about that. When people really are wrapped up in their ideas of what their very special imaginary friend wants for them, it can be very hard to make that person be rational about any of that because that is fundamentally fucking batshit and completely goddamn irrational. Be rational about this, but I can't. My imaginary friend said, wants this for me. And how do you know that? Because my imaginary friend whispered it to me in the middle of the night in a dream. Or if you read this parable in this particular way with the spin and interpretation and waka waka woo, what do you do with that? After a while, after you've spoken your piece, after you've risked the friendship, you back slowly out of the fucking room. All right. If she goes ahead and marries this guy, despite your giving him a call, despite your risking your friendship and telling her how you really feel, what do you do? Do you show up on that special day? Yeah. I think you err on the side of showing up on your friend's special self-emoliation wedding day. Yes, you do. Unless they're doing something completely insane. Who knows? Maybe healing waters pour from her pussy like the spring at Lourdes and she will fix him. Maybe being married will make him the husband that nobody anticipates he'll become. Highly unlikely, but maybe. So you show up in that hope. Unless she is a woman with three small children and he is an unreformed, unrepentant child molester. It really has to rise to the point of you are marrying someone who is going to destroy you and the people around you and that is unfair to everyone. And so I, in protest, am not going to smile on this. I'm not going to participate in your self-delusion and allow you to interpret my presence as some sort of approval of your choice or evidence that you're making a wise choice. But if he's just an asshole, if people didn't go to the weddings of people who were marrying assholes, a great many weddings would be deserted. If he's a destructive, harmful force, then you don't go. But you can show up at the wedding of a friend who's marrying somebody you wished they weren't marrying to be supportive. And then it gives you the street cred, come the time, to look them in the eye and say, I've loved you, I've stood by you, but I fucking told you so. Now, just like I showed up for your wedding, I'm going to show up for your court dates as you get a divorce. Hi, this is in response to the caller who doesn't like the taste of cum or the feel of it in her mouth and when she gives blowjobs. You, it's not like spitting the semen out if you let it dribble out in a really sexy way, either back over his penis or down your face, um, show it in it on your tongue. You can do a lot that's very sexy and kind of almost corny, and it still doesn't mean you have to swallow it, doesn't mean that you have to, I, I find, I like actually, I swallow and come, but it burns my throat a little bit, depending on how acidic it is, and it's definitely not just an acquired taste, 
but it required texture, I think. So you can sort of hold it in your mouth and then let it come back down. You can hold it. You could ask him to give you a facial if that doesn't bother you. And at the last second, he pulls out and gives you that you know, facial and that takes care of it. Or you can ask him to let to come on your breast if you like that. And again, the last minute, he pulls out and finishes on your breast. There's lots of very sexy ways to keep it not just, ooh, yuck, I hate your cum, let me spit it out, but to not have to swallow semen if it's not your thing. Hi, Dan. I'm calling in response to your advice you gave to the guy who wanted to have an affair in episode 464. And there seems to be a kind of paradox where you tell him to find someone who will let him practice his risky behavior. But it seems part of an affair would be not having permission. As soon as you have permission, it's not really risky or dangerous or exciting anymore. Uh, As someone who does have these sorts of tendencies, I found myself losing interest in the idea as soon as someone says, sure, sleep with anyone you want, then I don't really want to anymore. It's not risky anymore. I just don't know how you reconcile these two things of wanting to practice some risky behavior, but not wanting to hurt people and finding someone that's uh, compatible in that way. Hey, Dan, uh, in regards to uh, episode 464, where there's a gentleman who uh, wanted to have one last fling, what if she became part of the fantasy? So she could dress up, wear something else, he could arrange to meet her at a bar, and uh, he can go home with, quote, another woman and have a fun fantasy with her. Just a thought. And we're going to leave it there. 206-302-2064 is the number here at the Savage Lovecast. If you want to record a question or a comment for a future show, give us a buzz. 206-302-2064. Follow me on Twitter at FakeDanSavage. Follow Cynthia Graham on Twitter at CYGram underscore Graham. And follow Mike Pearl on Twitter at Mike Lee Pearl. And please, again, do not call it Mike Pearl Syndrome. you got to come up with something better. Speaking of Twitter, B. Jaker at B. Jakery tweets falling in love with the Savage Lovecast, which is lovely because we are falling in love with you, B. Jaker. The Savage Lovecast is produced every week by Nancy Hartunian and me and the tech savvy at risk youth and Nancy and our big box of Nature Box Snacks. We will all be back at you next week with another installment of the Savage Lovecast. Thanks for having me.